it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 115. Tonight, we are going to go ahead and take some more listener questions. We got some fantastic questions that Andrew and I wanted to answer on the air. So we're going to go ahead and talk about those. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to my friend Andrew, and he's going to go ahead and read the first question for us. Perfect. So I have a question here from Camberly. She says, I have some questions regarding IFB episode 48, when the falling stock indicates a failing business. Uh, I guess let's go through these questions one by one. Number one, if you don't know this, a falling stock until it's too late, what are the options? Is the only option to just sell right then and accept your loss? So if you don't mind, Dave, I'm going to take this one first. Absolutely. Go for it. So that's it's tough, right? Because if we could figure out how to avoid falling stocks, we would do it. We would all do it and we would all be very, very wealthy. The So she did mention she listened to the episode. So I did try to explain how you need to figure out the difference between a stock that is falling because 
the business is bad and a stock that is falling because of temporary sentiment that is negative in the stock market. I think it, it goes really to what we try to teach with in order to understand that very important difference, you have to understand the financials of a company. And so that's why a tool like the Value Trap Indicator Spreadsheet uh, can be very useful in understanding the financials. So as an example, if you look at a stock and let's say, perfect example is like some of the recent developments we've seen, which I find this comical. Yesterday, um, you know, uh, we're recording this in podcast format, so people are, might be listening months later. So it's it's kind of tough to do news on the podcast. But I'll tell you, we're we're recording this at the very beginning of August 2019, and so there was like two, there's like two or three big news themes. One of them is the Federal Reserve just did another rate cut, um, in a time where rates are really arguably really low already. Um, that's kind of a separate issue. Second, but the president is involved on Twitter with that as well. And then the second thing is the trade war, which is still going on. And so we've had this thing just go back and forth, back and forth between (laughs) Donald Trump tweeting about tariffs and, and how maybe we're making progress with the trade talks with China and then stocks jump up and then, oh, maybe Trump has a bad day and he says, I want to add more tariffs. And then it's just funny to watch the stock market crash after that. So we didn't really have a crash per se in the in the entire stock market yesterday. And that might be because some of the balance between like good news from the Fed cutting rates and, and bad news about the Trump tariff tweet. But definitely like in the apparel sector, particularly and, and some of these other stocks that really export a lot to China, they really they really took took a big big hit. So that can be one example where if you look at the financials of the business and right now that theme is is apparel stocks among some other ones too where of course this is all going to be a personal opinion but in my opinion the the negative sentiment does not does not it's it's like doesn't justify what we see in the financials. So what we see in the financials, depending on which stock you're looking at, um, you might see maybe an earnings drop where maybe earnings got cut in half, or maybe revenue went flat or even went lower. Things of that nature, right? And then you kind of compare that to to how our stocks doing. So it, like. As an example, in my opinion, let's say a stock goes down 25%, but maybe earnings are down 10%. That might be an obvious example of like, well, maybe they're overreacting, but it's not always black and white like that either. So I kind of struggle to say that, to say that, that, oh, you just compare the percentages. I don't think that's the case either. And I think Wall Street's usually pretty smart about they're kind of looking a little bit forward versus in the rear. However, if you're if you're taking really a, a longer term approach and you're okay with like like there's a big difference between uh, a, a company with earnings where they're maybe twenty percent less profitable for the next two years, three years, and so 
Wall Street doesn't like that, but I'm a long-term investor. I don't care. I'm looking 10 years out and I understand that that there are these cycles in profitability, even in some of the best businesses. And so I'm not going to worry about that kind of a drop versus, okay, a situation like Toys R Us a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm failing to think maybe like GE more recently, and I'm sure there's some other stocks that are having we're talking about like major, major profitability issues where sometimes you can see it as a company with negative earnings. That's a really easy one. Uh, I mentioned debt to equity really increasing and the leverage getting kind of out of hand. Sometimes you'll even see a stock with more total liabilities and total assets, which I can't even imagine how sustainable that would be. Or even something as simple as you know, they're just burning through cash from free cash flows or operating income. And it's it's getting to a point where it, it really starts to look concerning and it's not some sort of kind of small thing, but maybe you're noticing it over very many years, you know, versus just being kind of a one-year hiccup. I, I guess there's so many different factors and there's not going to be, again, one black or white answer. And you know, every industry is different. Some of them kind of have more ups and downs than others. And these news developments are always different. You know, you always have different political issues, you have different economic issues. And there's a lot of different cycles to go along with that, too. So I think having more experience, just kind of being sort of tuned in with what goes on in the market, I think that helps kind of having a toe dipped in. I really think reading particularly about historical events, I think that gives so much context because there's something about looking at the past and not being emotionally invested in it and just kind of observing it. And then it's funny how you can see the the same parallels today. So one great example that I've heard referenced in several books is like the Cuban Missile Crisis and how the stock market crashed And so, I don't know, maybe looking back today from the safety of not having missiles pointed at us at our our office chairs and our nice air conditioning, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, these investors are freaking out. That's stupid. Obviously, the type of businesses that were crashing are going to be around five, 10 years later, regardless of whether missiles hitting from Cuba or not. But in that moment, Wall Street still freaks out people still sell the type of stocks that you would think they should never sell in the type of businesses that you would think would be around for a very long time. And so when you see a similar type of scare or something that you can possibly perceive as being more temporary rather than a 10 or 20 year kind of development, then maybe you start to see those same parallels and you see the stocks crash. And instead of feeling nervous and feeling like, well, do I need to sell? You feel confidence because you you understand like historical context. You understand that what the stock market's doing is kind of like that's the way it is. You don't get mad at a fish for swimming. You don't get mad at the stock market for behaving in the way it does. And and you don't get mad if your stock is falling in that case because you understand that this is just the, the way of things, the natural way. But that also... So having that historical context definitely helps. Having that kind of ear to the ground really helps. But also, I think you really need confidence in your analysis that the business is doing fine and that this is a temporary thing and that the business model is strong. Another part of of seeing a strong business model outside of maybe noticing that 
these historical cycles are kind of normal, or maybe the company has these these sort of temporary dips in their earnings or their revenues, you know, and and that's not something to be terribly concerned about. I think another big indicator for me that makes me feel good about a stock is when they have a strong balance sheet. So, you know, I could have a stock that maybe earns 50% less than than ideally I would like it to or that Wall Street would like it to. But I mean, if they're a stock with with all these assets, they have all this property, maybe they have all this inventory or all this equipment or even just a ton of cash on their balance sheet or they have like no debt, it's very hard for a company that has no debt to go bankrupt unless they suddenly have terrible terrible losses where you know they're they're like throwing cash into a furnace and and you can pick those out too so i think having in order to understand the balance sheet you really need to understand the fundamentals of financials in the business so it kind of all circles back to whether it's the value chart indicator spreadsheet whether it's some other valuation tool whether it's um making your own kind of analysis based on whatever metrics you know, and then kind of building that base of knowledge as you go along. All of those sorts of things really help you make that decision. So the question doesn't become, what are my, option, what are my options for having the falling stock until it's too late, right? Uh, the question becomes, is the stock falling because the business is really in trouble or because it's just a temporary thing? And so the question then is, am I selling because yes, the business is bad or am I just going to hang on? And so if I'm just hanging on, is it really a loss? You know, Kimberly uses the words, accept your loss. Yes, you have to accept your loss when it's a stock in a business that hasn't performed from a business perspective the way you'd like. But if it's something that you're confident going to bounce back based on all of these things I've said, then it's not really a loss. And this, uh, I think Buffett said, or somebody said a quote where it's not a loss until you sell. And so in those cases, you're you're hanging on and waiting for the further developments. So good question, kind of a good follow-up to what we talked about in that episode. Hopefully it wasn't too repetitive, but those are the types of things that I would think of when it comes to a stock that's falling. Yeah, those are the things I would think about as well. Uh, all those, all those different ways of looking at it, and I, I, you know, to I guess to to hammer your point about the difference between uh, kind of the near term and the far term look at the company. Yesterday, when the Fed announced those losses or the losses, the cuts uh, in the rates, uh, particularly the banking sector, got hammered uh, yesterday, and it will bounce back because. Most of these companies haven't even reported their financials yet uh, for their next quarter. And so the fundamentals of the company hasn't changed. But now all of a sudden the stock is going down because they're anticipating that it could change, but they don't know. And so Wells Fargo has taken a beating yesterday because everybody thinks they're going to make less money because of the, the cut in the rates. And you won't know that for another two or three months. So it's, it's, you know, like Andrew was saying, it's an overreaction to a short term news event. You won't really know until the next, uh, the next quarterly reports come out or the, or the annual report comes out. And I think having 
the advantage to having a smaller portfolio that we've talked about in the past is you don't have a lot of things to look at. And so if you have 15 to 20 stocks, then that's 15 or 20 things that you can easily create, you know, a checklist, if you will, of things that you can look at on a quarterly or every six month basis and looking at a way of, you know, analyzing, you know, it could be just a simple thing like just looking at revenue, earnings and debt equity and that's it. And maybe those are the only three things that you pay attention to. And if you find something in any of those ideas that look like it could be, uh, you know, something that is cause for alarm, then you can dig deeper into it. But I think a, a great focus is the debt to equity, because as Andrew very uh, adroitly said, if a company has no debt, for them to go bankrupt is going to take something catastrophic, you know, like every iPhone all of a sudden immediately bursts into flames and nobody can use them. Well, that would obviously sink Apple pretty darn quick, but they have almost no debt on their, on their, on their books. And so for them to have a, a permanent loss that would be significant would be, you know, a catastrophic event. And so, and something like that is something that you're obviously going to be alerted to in the news. And I'll give you another example of kind of a difference between the examples I was just showing you and something that's more permanent. So everything that we talked about a couple of episodes ago with GameStop and my investment with them, they're down. it's now down to $3.83 a share. So it's even fallen further from two weeks ago when we discussed the stock. And so those are something that that's a permanent loss. And what do you do with that? You, you, either, you either hang on to it in the vague, vague hope that it'll go back up or you just accept your loss and sell out of it and try to learn from, from what happened. And you read a lot about that, that people try to learn from their mistakes as much as they do about their gains or their good choices. And I think that's one of the crucial things that people need to focus on when they're, when they're talking about investing is trying to look at what happened. Why did it happen? What, what kind of fallacy did I fall into? Was I really making a, a good assessment of what was going on with the company? And in my case, obviously, I was not. And like I told Andrew, I was kind of drinking the Kool-Aid. I wanted to like the company because I kind of fell in love with it. And so I did. I tainted what I was looking at based on that. And those are that's that's a normal fallacy. It's a normal thing to happen to people, but that's something that you can do when there is a loss with your company is you can try to look at what happened and why it happened like that. And unfortunately it's part of the risk of investing in, in a company in this in the stock market is that there are there are going to be losses sometimes. And not everybody's going to hit it out of the park. Even Warren Buffett has had mistakes. Charlie Munger has had mistakes. Manish Babai has had mistakes. He had a company that he invested in not too long ago that went bankrupt. And he lost a lot of money and it's unfortunate and it was a mistake on his part, but you know, he, he incorrectly assessed the management of the company and that's what caused the company to go bad was they made a, they made a bunch of very bad decisions and it caused the company to go bankrupt. So uh, nobody's perfect. And, you know, try not to beat yourself up when you're, when you're looking at these things and try not to let it discourage you from investing in the stock market because as Andrew and I have talked a lot about, this is one of the greatest ways to create wealth for yourself as you get closer to retirement or any other options that you want to have 
farther down in your life. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. That was very good. Brilliant. I have nothing else to add after that. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's answer the second part. So what happens when a company leaves the stock market? Does this only happen when they declare bankruptcy? Or are there other times also what happens to shareholders' investments? So there's several ways a, a company could exit. So a company could go private. We saw this with Dell Computer a couple years ago. Basically, what happens is whether that's a group, like whether it's a group inside of the company, insiders, management, board directors, uh, or if it's just some private group with a bunch of money and, and they want to take ownership of that company so they can basically make an offer. Hey, we're going to, we're going to pay, let's say Dell. I don't remember what they closed at. I think it was something like $30 a share. So, Hey, we're going to, we're going to pay $30 a share to all of your shareholders. Um, and so that comes out to whatever, $2 billion, whatever it is. And then now the shareholders, they, they, they hold a vote and they say it's called a proxy vote and they all vote on whether they want this deal to go through or not. And so if the deal does go through, um, the 
group that is taking ownership of the stock, they pay the money and then they acquire all the shares and all the shareholders get paid out. And then that company's ticker symbol disappears and it's gone. Another way is uh, merger and acquisition. We've talked about those in the past uh, in the archives and similar kind of story, except instead of a private group taking it, it's a public corporation. And so there's a lot of different ways those transactions can go through. It can be an all cash thing, like the example I just said. It can be a mixture of you get some shares of the company that's acquiring the business you own, or um, you could get all shares and no cash. So those are some of the things that can happen. And then the same thing happens where the ticker goes away. What I found interesting, uh, as an aside real quick, is as I was doing a lot of historical research on uh, a bunch of different stocks, and even with some of the stocks that I've owned, so I would like recommend some for the e-leather. And then I was even, I was tracking them. I was doing this for a while where I was tracking them after I sold and, and just to see how they did afterwards. And that's kind of, if you want a good way to torture yourself, that's a great way to do it because now not only are you highlighting the times where you sold for a loss, but then you're also seeing them recover and bounce back. And now you're seeing how much you could have gained. So I don't know if I would recommend doing that. Um, but as an effect of doing that, I saw two or three stocks that I owned that eventually became acquired in a merger and acquisition. And when you do research on on the history of the stock market, the history of stocks, back tests, things like that, there's not a lot of talk about how those kind of um, transactions happen. And so I think, you know, like we talked about this oh, at least a year ago, I think, where I have that booklet, right, with all these different stocks back in the 70s and, and this big long list. And some of the stocks on there are a bunch of names that we just never heard of in today's world. But, you know, so coming as somebody, you might think, oh, well, those have just been a bunch of stocks that have gone bankrupt. And so those would have been terrible investments. But that's not always the case. A lot of these stocks can and do get acquired or go private. And so you don't hear their names anymore, but the shareholders aren't necessarily left out to dry. They can also be handsomely rewarded and now they can take that cash and and move it towards a different investment in the stock market. A lot of times with the mergers and acquisitions and even companies going private, you know, the as those proxy votes happen, a lot of times they're not going to agree to the deal unless it's a good deal for them. And so a lot of times a company who wants to acquire another company will have to pay a premium for that. And so as a shareholder who owns that, that's generally a pretty nice, pretty nice deal for you. So, you know, don't, don't look at the past and, and look at how, how much the names have changed and make, make you think that all those past companies went bankrupt. That's not always the case. Um, and, and understand that this is a way that stock tickers kind of leave um, the indexes. And then obviously the last thing that happens is a bankruptcy, which we've covered that in the past too. Um, those leave the index. Basically what happens is it goes to the courts. Usually the stockholders get nothing. The bondholders sometimes get some of their investment back, but it all depends on how much money is left, how, much, how many assets are left. And sometimes the bondholders get like 
40 cents on the dollar to what they were owed. So this is um, kind of the, the, the different scenarios. There might be a couple more I'm not thinking of, but in general, these are the big ones that you'll tend to see. And so it's not always bad. And kind of what I was saying a couple of weeks ago, I tend to maybe have that personality where I look at the worst case scenario, which can be great. But at the same time, um, maybe that kind of sheds a negative light on really um, some of the great things that happen with the stock market. And so I think, you know, holding stock in a company that gets acquired can be an excellent thing. Obviously, the ideal is to have these type of long investments where they can pay you dividends that continue to increase and you have a nice income forever. But also taking the gain every once in a while is really nice too. And that can happen as companies leave the stock market. Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. All right. Hello, Andrew. Uh, I've been trying to binge your podcast as much as I can. You talk so much about dividends. However, I started investing on Robinhood. Started in early May before I heard you don't like Robinhood. Haven't quite understood why yet. I have thrown money into it way too fast without making much thought besides looking at which companies I know that are successful like Disney and will continue to do so. Other ideas they used were looking at their three-month, one-year, and five-year past, and if they seem to be trending up, I bought some. But back to dividends. I'm trying to figure out how to make money based on those because I only have made 30 cents on one stock so far and 18 cents on another. I couldn't imagine investing millions just to make thousands in dividends because it would take me 100 years to get to that point. I don't know enough about investing, obviously, to get ins and outs, which is why I'm listening to your podcast. I really appreciate the time taking the time with us and your podcast. Thank you, Drew. Andrew, what are your thoughts? You are the Drip King. <laughs> he has arrived. So, <laughs> I King is building. <laughs> <laughs> love it. So, um, the Robin Hood thing, I don't want to get too into that. I think maybe re-listen to the episode. A um, bunch of reasons why their business model. Um, there are better options from a brokerage standpoint. And the fact that they don't drip, which kind of leads into the, the second part of the question. And so, yeah, totally get the whole th- thing with the dividends and seeing such small amounts in the beginning and thinking, how is this ever going to make me wealthy? I totally get that. And that's a good, it, it, it's, it's a, I think it's a, it's a, something that beginner investors need to get past. And I think a lot of them need to. And so I talked a little bit about um, being optimistic and, and some examples of companies that if you invested and did the drip, how it became really fantastic returns for a lot of these investors. The the thing I would say about this is when you look at a dividend, you don't want to look at it as a one-time thing. So when I'm buying a stock and I'm buying it for the dividend, I'm really not buying it for the dividend today. I'm buying it for the dividend 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and 40 years later in the in the most ideal of cases. And so what's nice about buying a stock with a dividend is you're just putting that money in once and now you have an income stream. So think of it like the way people think about buying rental properties. People like to buy rental properties because you kind of you have the mortgage that you pay off once but then now you're getting this recurring sense of revenue from people who are renting from you. And so a stock is the exact same way, except you don't have a lot of the downsides that come with rental investing. 
Um, and so not only do you get, you know, you, you invest that money once, you get a dividend in year one. And then if you hold it again, you get it again in year two, year three. So that, you know, if you've got 18 cents, it's not just 18 cents this year, you're going to get 18 cents next year, next year, next year, next year, next year, next year. So eventually, you know, hopefully that, that will pay for your investment on its own. Now you also have to take into consideration that companies are going to grow that every year. So if they're doing 18 cents this year, uh, maybe next year they're doing, like I had a stock yesterday, e-letter pick. I loved, I loved seeing this, by the way. News that they, they upped their dividend by 25%. So you know, if, if they could do that every year, man, uh, the, the type of compounding you will see. So, you know, if it's 18 cents this year, um, maybe it's 20 cents the next year, maybe it's, um, 25 cents the next year, 30 cents the next year. And so that's compounding and, and, and companies all are trying to do that when they're paying a dividend. And if they're not, you know, you need to get out and you need to find a company that is. So, it, so that's growing and you can see how it's, expanding and really multiplying over time. And then you can also throw in the compounding that you get from reinvesting. So if you take that dividend in year one, and instead of saying, oh, I'm going to buy a piece of gum with it, maybe you put that back into the stock and now you're accumulating shares of the stock. And so as you accumulate more and more shares of a stock, it's going to pay you a higher and higher dividend. So now the company's growing the dividend, you're growing the dividend manually by reinvesting. And so it really starts to snowball from there. And like I said, you're not looking at it year one, I'm looking ahead at year 10 and, and looking at those dividends. And that's really where you'll see the type of returns. So obviously it's going to take finding the right companies to do that. You want to find companies that are going to grow their dividend. You want to find them that are going to do it without sacrificing the long-term health of the business. So that means you need to be in fundamentally good companies with with good profits. And you need to also hang on. And, and one thing that we know about the stock market is it goes crazy up and down. And um, kind of like that first question today, uh, you'll have stocks that fall and you might feel like it's it's too late and I wish I would have caught this and sold it before it fell. Well, really, that's just, it's always going to happen. If it's not this stock, it's the next stock. So how do you recover from that? So if you're really thinking 10 years ahead instead of this year, well, then I'm thinking I'm going to hold through this because everything else looks fine. So that's really what you need to think about with the dividends. And again, I always stress like trying to work through some of those hypothetical examples yourself. And really, if you can see how the numbers get insane as the longer and longer you let it compound, the, the the better stocks you buy that really, really grow their dividend year after year after year. It really multiplies to a lot. So yeah, in the beginning, it's really small. I'll give two examples on just how powerful this can be. Number one, I first started the e-letter. Uh, this was 2014. And for those of you who don't know, super quick snapshot, e-letter, I have a real money portfolio. It's a Roth IRA. I'm putting $150 a month in it every month, and I'm buying uh, one stock with that $150 a month. And then those are giving dividends, and I'm, I'm reinvesting those in a drip program. So that first year, I think I made, because I started in October. I wish I had this pulled up, but it was probably less than a dollar in dividends. And then you fast forward three or four years, 
and I had something like $150 in dividends. So what was that? Well, first it was that first stock's dividend grew. So maybe it grew from like, let's say 18 cents. Maybe it was like, I don't know, 25 cents, right? But so that grew and then it was accumulating shares and it continues to pay me that dividend year after year after year. And so that helped to the dividend uh, payment. And then each new stock you're buying, that's, that's a new income stream that's coming in. So not only is it not just the first year, but it's also all the other investments you have coming in. Those are all adding to it. And then when those are all growing, then now it's multiplying even faster. So I, in that case where it was three or four years later, I had a special dividend come in from one of the stocks I had a pretty large allocation in. And so that's that combined with the other stocks that were growing, combined with the fact that I had more money in the market versus when I first started. So now we're talking about $150 in that year in dividends versus just like 18 or a dollar or whatever it was the first year. So uh, part of it is being patient. Part of it's the compounding. Part of it is as you put more money in over time, it's, it's going to grow. But it's really, I think, the biggest thing is putting that money in first and how it'll pay you a dividend continually and growing continually over time. That's really how you're going to make your fortune. So you're, you're not going to see it overnight. You're not going to see it in year one. I think the perfect example, to, to wrap it up with the second example, the perfect example of this is Warren Buffett. And I talked about this in an, in an email I sent out a couple days ago. He put something like $1.4 billion into Coca-Cola back in 1989. So I don't even know if I was alive back then or not. But really, in, in the world of investing, that's not a crazy long time period. That's 20 years. So $1.6 billion. Today, 20 years later, he is making 600 million ish in dividends every year from that Coca Cola investment. So, almost half of what he put in back then, he's getting, and not just once, but every single year. Can you imagine, like, if we had those, that type of an opportunity, you know, to make that kind of an investment now, people would be everybody would be a billionaire cuz cuz how can you you know put money in once and and have it double basically essentially it's doubling every 2 years and those then those dividends are he he's funneling those into other companies and and they're making even more money and that's really how buffett's made his fortune and it hasn't been something that's that's because of what he did in one year it's something that's accumulated over the years so i really hope you know, every every time I try to introduce Drip and, and get people excited about Drip, I try to come at it at a different angle. And I hope one of these times that I, I explain it to people that it really lights that fire for you. And so that's just another way of of how these dividends can really build great fortunes. It's a castle's not built overnight. It's it's built brick brick by brick. And the same thing with your wealth, the same thing with income streams, and the same thing with um the way that dividends are going to make you wealthy. And so those for those reasons and probably more that I haven't thought of today are all reasons why you can take those small dividends and, and feel confident that over time it can lead to serious, serious gains. That's perfect. And you know, there's really not much more I would really want to add to that. I guess a question that I have for you, when we talk about 
the returns of the of the stock market over the last you know time period whatever you want to pick how much of that is based on how much is that including dividends oh you gave me a softball <laughs> this is uh talked about in a lot of different investing books so anywhere from like 60 to 75 percent of the total return over the very 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 long term with the stock market has been because of dividends so that's kind of gotten lower over time based on a lot of different factors interest rates buybacks but it's still a significant portion of investor return and so part of that is the fact that when there's a bear market or a recession, you're not getting hardly any or maybe even negative returns from the stock market because stock prices are crashing. So that dividend's really kind of keeping your returns afloat and, and it's making up a big part of the return. Um, but the second and what I think is is even more of a of a factor and, and something that conceptually is kind of like the next level up is this idea that if you're reinvesting those dividends um, you're compounding your wealth, you're compounding your ownership, and it's e- exponentially expanding over time. And so if I have a stock and I, I paid a hundred bucks on it and it doubled, let's say, let's say a 10 X, uh, 20 years from now, that's great. I got a 10 X, but if I had dividends, so now instead of a hundred dollars of the stock, I have $200 of the stock, then my 10 X on that is 20,000 instead of 10,000. So maybe that's a great kind of number numerical explanation in podcast format that really encapsulates just how much of a difference compounding and, and dividend reinvestment can make. And it's it's because of things like that. Yeah, that's a perfect illustration. And I think that's one of the things that to me is so um, exciting about dividends is how much it can grow your money. I, I, while you were talking, I just for giggles, I pulled up a calculator and uh, a compound interest calculator on the internet. And if I put in a hundred dollars, just that's my initial investment. And I don't make any other con- contributions over 20 years at three and a half percent, which would be, you know, a pretty a nice dividend. You'd earn another hundred dollars for doing nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, just the continuation of the dividend being, you know, invested um, would just, you know, give you a hundred bucks for doing nothing. I mean, who wouldn't want a hundred bucks for doing nothing? I mean, that's, I mean, that's just the power of, of compounding and, and, you know, what dividends can do for you. So, you know, yes, you know, Drew, when you're talking about starting out, it looks like peanuts and it may feel like peanuts, but if you, I promise you, if you keep at it, it's, it's going to add up. Uh, quite substantially over time, you know, it may never get to the Warren Buffett level. Uh, you know, that's you know, those are the, us mere mortals may not be able to afford to buy, you know, one point five billion dollars worth of Coke. But <laughs> hey, uh, you never know. But anyway, so um, I think that was kind of my thoughts on that. So, do you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I mean, yeah, three and a half percent. You're just taking like the worst case, as if the business never grew and it just paid like a steady dividend. That's yeah. a, that's a great example of compound interest, and the stocks can really do really wonderful things. Businesses can do wonderful things. So the dividend can even be just a cherry on top. Sometimes, uh, really, just depends. But I think the options are really limitless, and. The ceiling is so, so high and, and dividends can be a big, big part of that depending on which stocks you buy. 
Yeah, exactly. I guess another thing that I'd like to kind of illustrate too is, you know, the point that Andrew made about when the stock is not doing well in the stock market, if if it's paying a dividend, they're not going to cut that. I mean, unless there's financial reasons that cause them to do that, they're not going to cut that dividend. So that's still going to be a return that you're going to be able to earn even while the stock is not doing well in the market because of other factors besides, you know, the company not doing well, you know, like we were talking about earlier with Camberley's question, you know, if the stock market is is beating the stock down for whatever reason, if there's economic factors going on, but the company's still making money, you know, every, everything else is doing well, you're still going to get paid a dividend, which is still going to help your, you know, your wealth grow. So, it, you know, there are so many advantages to dividends that it just needs to be something that's, you know, a part of your investment strategy. Absolutely. 100%. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Uh, we had some great questions and those were a lot of fun to answer. And I'm glad we got to hear the drip king and I'm glad he was in the house for us for a little bit today. So hopefully you understand a little bit more about how the power of dividends and compound interest can make you a very wealthy person if you stick with it. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.